Zach. Yeah, we really are genuinely excited about that foundations course is, is uh, one of the uh, initial steps of a discipleship pathway that we're putting together. There'll be lots more coming up in the, in the months ahead for other steps of people's journeys. But this is sort of a, a, a starter one for people who are maybe newer to the faith or don't feel like they've ever got the foundations of, of beliefs and spiritual disciplines and practices. Great place to come and learn those and engage in some of those. So I encourage you. Uh, it doesn't matter if you've been in the church for 10 years or 10 minutes. If you feel personally that's where you're at in your walk with Christ, this is the course that you need to be signing up for this January. Well, I'm going to add my voice to everybody else's and say Happy New Year. <laughs> Thank you so much. I hope you had a great Christmas season, but I don't know if this is good news or bad news for you. Christmas is not over yet. It might be good news for some people because they love Christmas, bad news for others because they're just, you know what, have had enough of Christmas. Others, maybe it's just news because you're, you're kind of indifferent. You know, next week, we're going to get back into some more kind of uh, regular expository preaching. We're actually going to look at two books you've probably never heard. There's a good chance you've never heard spoken on before. I'm going to be teaching on the book of Philemon and the book of Jude for, for the two weeks following today. So stay tuned for that. Come back and join us for those ones. But for today, we're going to go one more week in our Tune Into Christmas series, where we're looking at some favorite Christmas songs and unpacking them a little bit to look at the Kind of the meaning, the purpose behind them to draw us into a deeper sense of awareness and worship. Now, this week's a little bit different. Uh, I know it's January. I know Christmas for a lot of us is over. This isn't a mistake. This isn't bad planning on my part. Because if you look at your calendars, you'll notice that there's a little reminder that there's something happening tomorrow. And, and it's not just my birthday that's happening tomorrow. It, it, that's not, you may have a reminder for that, but it's not that <laughs> It's uh, this thing called Epiphany. You've probably seen that in your calendars. This, this day that's marked on January 6th called Epiphany. Now it's overlooked in a lot of the Western traditions, the Western cultures. But tomorrow there are millions of believers of Jesus Christ around the world who are going to be celebrating Epiphany. Now, now Epiphany comes from a Greek word that means manifest or to appear. And it's practiced in a couple of different ways. In some of the sort of the Eastern churches, like the Eastern Orthodox churches, uh, Ukrainian, Russian, Greek Orthodox churches, they'll use this holiday to celebrate, to, to commemorate the baptism of Jesus. When Jesus started his public ministry, it, it's a moment to celebrate that. This time when he appeared... Epiphany appeared to the world as the Son of God. In more of the Western traditions, it's a time of, of remembering the visit of the Magi after the birth of Jesus. And the significance of that is that Jesus was being manifest as not just the Savior of the Jews, but also the Savior of the Gentiles as he was the Savior for the, the three kings. They have this thing called Three Kings Day. Now, we don't know if there are three kings or not. We know there are three gifts, but there may have been more kings than that. But it's called Three Kings Day as Jesus is being a Savior was manifest, appeared, became a reality to all of the Gentiles as well. And the way they celebrate this is there's multiple days of, of gift-giving and of celebrating, and it all comes together. It's all capped off with what's referred to as the Feast of the Twelfth Night. And the Feast of the Twelfth Night happens on January 5th. That's, well, that's today is the Feast of the Fifth Night, of the story of the Twelfth Night. And that is actually where we get our well-known contemporary Christmas carol, the Twelve Days of Christmas, from. That's where it comes from. 
Now, many of us think that the 12 days of Christmas are the 12 days leading up to December 25th. But that's actually more of a, uh, an appropriation of a holiday towards our Western traditions. Because in reality, the 12 days of Christmas are counted from December 25th to January 5th. Now, throughout this series, we've been making a habit of singing the song that we're focusing upon before I come speak about it. As you'll know, we didn't do that today. And there's two reasons for that. One, it's not really a worship song, so I didn't really want to include in the worship set. But secondly, it's kind of annoying, right? Can we agree? The song's kind of annoying. And I just really didn't want to endure that. And I have the ability to pick and choose songs. So we didn't sing that one. Now, this 12 Days of Christmas song that I'm sure we're all familiar with is not really, there's not much known about it. A lot of people believe it's just sort of a nonsense children's song from back in the 16th century where some suitor wanted to overwhelm his true love with gifts. And he thought, you know what she needs? She needs more birds than anyone could ever handle. And so he chooses to give her one partridge, two turtle doves, three French hens, four calling birds, six geese, a lane, seven swans, 23 birds in all. But don't forget, the geese were a lane, and I did the research on this. Geese on average lay six eggs per year each, so six geese times six eggs means another 36 birds. He overwhelmed his bride-to-be with 59 birds. I don't know how she reacted, but I have a feeling she very quickly gravitated towards the five golden rings, or what she probably focused herself upon. Now, others believe that it's not just a nonsense children's song, but it's actually a song that's used to help kids learn the tenets of the Christian faith. And in this particular version of the song, idea of the song, true love is God giving gifts to us. Now, we really don't know too much about this song. But while it is timely today being the 12th day of Christmas, I don't want to look back upon Christmas. But instead, I want us to look forward into 2020. See, this is also a time of year when people start to go to a bit of a self-reflection. They start to anticipate good days that are ahead for the year to come. And that often leads to making of resolutions as well. Now, resolutions, quite often I want to stop a bad habit and start a good one. I want to guard against toxic relationships and invest in healthy ones. I want to commit to something and then follow through, and that's where it usually falls apart, but, but follow through on whatever I'm committing to. Now, if you have made a resolution this year, if you've made a resolution in the past, or if you were just to simply do a Google search for the top 10 resolutions that people make, here's what you're going to find. You're going to find that quite often they fall into three categories or three relationships. Quite often these resolutions have to do with your relationship with yourself, where there's a desire for self-improvement, for self-promotion, for self-care. Other resolutions fall into the category of your relationship with others, the way you treat people, the, the amount of time and effort you put into your relationships, having to establish boundaries around some relationships. And then the third category, people want to invest or look at their relationship between them and God. Because we're just on the heels of Christmas, which is a very spiritual time when people start questioning and have a more of an openness to the things of Jesus. And it leads them to start to ponder the things of God. And so that can be church attendance. What am I involved in? What do I believe? Do I want to move from the spiritual category to actually committing to something? Different disciplines and attitudes in people's lives. You'll find that categories that the resolutions fall into 
are reminiscent of these. And these are not foreign to us, even apart from resolutions. You can see, because relationships are central to our lives. Relationships are a huge part of the Christian life in particular. And quite often, your relationships with yourself, with others, and with God will be a big determining factor on whether you have a vibrant walk with Jesus or if it's kind of dull and maybe even a little frustrating as you try to walk with him. And so while the song, The 12 Days of Christmas, is really about giving gifts to one's true love, today I want to do something different with it. Today I want to present to you 12 gifts that you can give to yourself. Now, not for, not for selfish motivations. I want these to be 12 gifts you can give to yourself that I believe can help you to experience a more vibrant walk with Jesus in 2020, but also have the ability to increase, improve your witness of the grace, truth, and love of Jesus Christ to the world around you in 2020. Now, there's 12 gifts. We're going to break them down into these three categories, your relationship with God, with yourself, and with others. And here's what I would ask you to do. As we go through these, you may have an idea of a particular category that, yeah, I want to invest more in that category. Or you may find yourself saying, I want to kind of grab one from each of the three categories and, and, and make some goals around that. Do whatever you like with it, but here's what I don't want you to do. I don't want you to overload yourself. I don't want you to say, I'm going to do 10 of the 12. Because we know how that's going to end, right? Probably with being overwhelmed to the point of not doing any of them. But find just one, two, maybe even three. Or you can ask yourself, if I put effort into this, how would I grow? If I invested in this area in 2020, what difference would that make in my life and the life of those around me? Now, we have a lot to cover, 12 gifts. we got to get through them. So we're going to go through them fairly quickly. If any of them kind of float to the surface for you, you want to talk about them in more detail, or how do you take steps further in that that I can get into today, please call me, email me, come see me, other people on staff as well. We would love to journey with you in any of these areas as we enter into 2020. So let's go. Let's jump into these. You know, of the 12 gifts you can give yourself that will benefit you and those around you, your walk with Christ and your witness to others around you. The first category we're going to talk about today is your relationship with God. You know, there is never going to be a relationship that is more important in your life than this relationship with God that you have through Jesus Christ. And there's three reasons for this. The first reason is that this is the only relationship in your life that will last for an eternity. Many of us have all sorts of relationships, but this is the only one that will last for an eternity. Consider, for example, when you were in kindergarten, all of us had friends in kindergarten. But how many of us still are friends with our kindergarten friends? You come across stories occasionally where people have a couple from back in those days, and that's awesome. But I'm willing to bet that 99% of us don't have meaningful relationships with those people we were in kindergarten with. See, relationships tend to morph and move and change as we physically move to different places, as we have little conflicts with people that we grew up with, or as our interests change and we start to drift apart. But that's not the case in our relationship with God. See, in John chapter 10, Jesus is describing the relationship between him and his followers. About how him is the good shepherd. He cares for his followers. He cares and guides them and protects them. And then in verse 28, he says, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. 
You see, your relationship with God is not just a temporal reality. It is eternal. It is an eternal reality. And if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, that is a relationship that will never end. But as this verse suggests, there's a second reason this is the most important relationship in your life. It's because it also determines where you will spend eternity. Now, there are many people who are okay with the idea of having a relationship with God. They call themselves perhaps, I know I'm a good person, I'm a moral person, I'm a spiritual person, whatever that category may be. And quite often they default to this, this humanistic idea that if I do enough good things, if I'm a good enough person, it will be enough. But what we find out in the scriptures, in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, we're told that it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. It is not of yourselves. It is the gift, one of these gifts we get from God. It's not by our works, our good deeds, how good we are. Why? Because if it was, then we could boast about it and look back to ourselves instead of God. You see, Scripture tells us very clearly in multiple places that being good enough, doing enough good things will not be enough when we stand before God. It may be enough in the worldly world in which we live and the people who use different measurements of a worldly measure. But when it comes to the heavenly expectations, when it comes to the holiness of God, we will always fall short. Because apart from God, we are spiritually dead. And only Jesus Christ can make us spiritually alive. But the third reason that our relationship with God through Jesus Christ is the most important one that we'll ever have is because he gives us power for our daily lives. You may have just come through a really rough season in 2019. Maybe it was a good season for you. We may have a, a good day, a, a bad day, a good week, a bad week. We have all these different things that come at us throughout our lives. And that's not unique to any of us. It actually exists back in the time of Paul who wrote a lot of the letters in the New Testament as well. And he spoke of this in Philippians, one of the letters he wrote in, in the book of Philippians chapter 4. Where he says, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in every situation though. Whether I'm fed or hungry, whether I'm living in plenty or if I'm in want. You know what the secret is? The secret reveals to us in verse 13 of Philippians chapter 4 when he says this. The secret is this. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. So your relationship with God is the most important relationship you'll ever have. Why? Because it's the only one that will last for all eternity. Because your relationship with God determines where you spend eternity. And in the here and now in which we live, your relationship with God gives you power, gives you strength through which you can do all things. Great place to start as we consider what we should be investing in as we enter into 2020. So given the eternal significance of this relationship... How can we enter into that relationship? Or if you already have it, how can you invest deeper in this relationship? Four gifts you can give yourself to deepen this relationship. The first two you probably are going to guess because they're things that we talk about regularly. Number one, prayer. Praying. What is prayer? At the most basic level, prayer is talking to God. Wherever you are, whatever words you have, whatever's going on in your life, just talking to God, sharing your heart, your thoughts, your feelings, your fears with him. But going from it just being a monologue to being able to make it a dialogue to give him a chance to respond to us as well. Just talking to God. If you want more of a model, because some people are like, hey, that's, I, I love the freedom of that. But some people want more of a model. 
Here's a bit of a model you can use if you want more of a structured type of prayer. You may have heard of this before. It's based upon the word ACTS, A-C-T-S, just like the book of ACTS, A-C-T-S. And this is a model you can use for praying. The A stands for affirmation. To begin praying by affirming who God is, by acknowledging his awesomeness, his greatness, his presence in your life. Affirming God. The C stands for confessing. Confessing who we are and, and the failures and the struggles that we have in our lives. The T stands for thanksgiving. What we are thankful for. Thankful that he hears our, our, our prayers, our, 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 our confessions and forgives them. But also thankful for the things that exist in our lives because of him. And then the S is a funny word we never use very often called supplication. Which basically means, you know, these are the things that are on my heart that I desire, need, or want. Notice that comes at the end. How often in our prayer lives do we start with supplication? But here we acknowledge who God is. We acknowledge who we are. We thank him for forgiving us and being in our lives. And then we bring our requests before him. So one of the first gifts you can give yourself is prayer. Number two, reading our Bibles. Reading our Bibles, we talk quite often about having your space in your place. Uh, And what that means is having your space, this idea of a physical space where you regularly spend time with God. That may be a special chair in your living room or or in your bedroom. It may be your car as you drive to work. Don't read your Bible while I drive and listen to it on tape. But wherever it may be, having that physical space where you spend time in the Word of God. But also that space in your calendar where it's a regular time that you carve out on a daily basis, ideally, to spend even just 5, 10, 15 minutes reading your Bible. Space. Place. If you have your space and you're reading your Bible, you will find your place in God's story. Because the Bible is his story, his revelation of his love and what he has done to, to create us, to reach us, to love us, and to redeem us. You will find your place in his story. Now, quite often people reach a point of they want to do more Bible reading, but they don't know where to start. So i got three suggestions for you if you don't know where to start. Number one, if you open up the Bible app that we use for our sermon notes every week, and the the, uh, link is included on your bulletin there. I've included two Bible reading plans that you can connect with right off that web app. One of them is a chronological reading plan where it reads through the whole Bible in a year in order of historical events. Excuse me, as opposed to the order in which it is written in Scripture. It puts it into one flowing story. The second one divides the Bible up into a year's worth of reading just with random books each month to keep some variety happening. But if you don't want to commit to a full year reading plan at this point, you also might want to consider simply opening up to the book of John. Use the table of contents if you have to. Open to the book of John, which gives us the story of Jesus' life. When you get to the end of John, you're going to come to the book of Acts, which is the story of, of the early church. And when you finish reading about that, you're going to come to the book of Romans, which is a great book of theology. So just those three books in a row. John, Acts, Romans, the life of Jesus, the start of the church, and a great book of theology. Just all three put together. Great place to start if you want to start a Bible reading plan. First two. Number three, pressing on. Take a step of faith. Take a step of faith. Hebrews 11.6 says, without faith it is impossible to please God. If you are already in a relationship with God, then perhaps you've found yourself saying what a lot of people say is, what is his will for my life? How do I discern the direction that I should be going? This is a common question 
And, and very, very briefly, my answer to that is I don't believe God's will is as mysterious as we often make it out to be. Here's what I found in my own life and in many people that I've counseled in the past. That quite often when we're asking that question, it's because we're sitting on the bank of the river. Waiting to get into the flow of the river. And we're sitting on the bank waiting to say, I wonder what God's will is for me. When what he wants us to do is to step into the river, which is the flow of his will, and see where it takes us. We know what it feels like to be swimming against a current. We know what it feels like to swim with the current. But when we're sitting on the bank of the river, we don't know what the current feels like. I found this in my own life so many times when I'm like, man, I just wish I knew what God wanted me to do. And, and what he wanted me to do was to take a step and get in the water. Because he was already moving. He wasn't waiting for me to get into his will. His will was already active and happening. It was flowing already. I needed to join him in what he was doing. And once I did, then he could maneuver me. Then he could say, a little more this way, a little more that way. You're swimming backwards, turn around, Mark, and go this way. He could actually start to guide and direct when I got into the river. So I don't know what that looks like in your particular situation. I don't know what that first step would be in the thing that you feel like you're perhaps called to that you're not sure if you want to fully commit to yet today. But I encourage you to take that first step and just see, does it feel like I'm in the flow of God's will or am I swimming against the current? Is this a locked door or is it an open door? Take the first step. That's probably what he's revealed to you for today. And tomorrow he'll reveal the next one and the next one and the next one as we go along one step of faith at a time. If you do not currently have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I want to challenge you to take a step of faith as well. If you, fall your, if you feel like you're in that category of, of being a skeptic, if you're in that category of being, of being spiritual but not committed, I want to challenge you to take a step of faith as well to investigate the things of Jesus Christ. To take that step. Because if this truly is the most important relationship you can ever have in your life... It is worthy of the investigation, of serious, honest investigation. And if it's not true, you got nothing to lose. If it's not true, you have nothing to lose. If it is true, you have everything to gain. C.S. Lewis explained it this way. He said, Christianity, if false, is of no importance. And if it is true, it is of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately ho-hum important. Take a step of faith. And then fourth, this is a critical one that I think is so important for so many people. Write out your testimony. Why would I suggest to write out your testimony as a gift you can give yourself? Because as you do this, it forces you to go back and to recall and to put words to God's work in your life. And the difference that he made during different seasons of your life. It enables you to finish the sentence, if it were not for Jesus Christ in my life, dot, dot, dot. What difference would that make? And I honestly believe if you go back and write that down, number one, it will strengthen your faith. It will help you to have the energy, the courage you need to perhaps take that step of faith and to go strong into 2020. But secondly, if you write down your testimony, when somebody ever were to ask you about your faith, what do you believe? Why do you believe? How do you know God is real? If you have written down your testimony, you have the words prepared to fulfill 1 Peter 3.15 that says, always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you about the reason for the hope that you have. And the hope that we have is found in a strong relationship with God through Jesus Christ. 
this first category. So the first four gifts have to do with our relationship with God. Prayer, Bible reading, steps of faith, writing out a testimony. Anything in there perhaps you could invest in for 2020? I hope so. But let's have a look at the second one. The second set of gifts that actually relate to your relationship with yourself. Now in what many New New Year's resolutions focus upon is self-improvement. And that can be okay. That can be good based upon the motive behind it, though. You see, quite often these New Year's resolutions or these desires for self-improvement are based upon somebody else's bank account, somebody else's social status, somebody else's reputation, somebody else's abs that we've seen somewhere. And this comparison game begins, and we start to see somebody else's family, physique, attitude, job, and it leads us to a bit of a sense of jealousy, sometimes even bitterness, a sense of loss of self-worth, and that is the motivation for a New Year's resolution. That's not what I'm talking about today. That is not a God-honoring biblical reason to really engage in any sort of initiative. There's nothing wrong in and of itself with wanting to better ourselves physically, relationally, spiritually, emotionally, if it is done for God-honoring reasons. Consider, for example, in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 and 20, where it says, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, who is, <clears throat> who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own, you are bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. In this verse, in this passage, he's telling us, your body was created by God, it was redeemed by Jesus, and it is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Because it is created, redeemed, and indwelt by God, it is a temple. Now, temples are not just residences. Temples are not just places where where God happens to stop by and, and sleep for a few hours. They are sacred places. Temples are places that are used to honor God. Temples are things that belong to God. And how we treat, care for What we do with our bodies is of great importance. Why? Because it can actually be a form of worship. If our bodies are temples belonging to God, indwelt by God, how we care for them, treat them, and use them can actually be, therefore, a form of worship. Now, if we're honest, the way that we often treat our bodies, the way we view health, sometimes edges towards more of neglect. Than worship. Sometimes people even to the category of even abuse when it comes to diet activity and indulgences. So, four gifts that we can give ourselves that would lead us more towards honoring God and worshiping God with our bodies. Number one, you probably, I'm gonna get this one out of the way because we already know this one's coming health, diet, and exercise. Now, I'm not a doctor, I'm not an expert on these things. So, if you want to invest in this more, have concerns, that's where you need to get some answers. Here's what I want to share with you today, though. All I want to say to you is this. Remember a moment ago I was talking about that idea of comparison? Quite often when people enter into these types of commitments, it's because they're doing the comparison game based upon some fitness model that they've seen or based upon what they've seen on a magazine, on TV, or on a movie. And that's not a good motivation. That's not a realistic goal to enter into. Here's what I would encourage you to establish for your goal. One word, progress. Progress. One word. At the most basic level, 
do better today than you did yesterday. Just do better today than you did yesterday. That, that's all I'm talking about here. Okay? Do better today than you did yesterday. Progress. And we don't need to do tons of research. We all know that vegetables are good for you and, and, and chips are bad. We're not talking about taste and flavor. We're talking about health. Vegetables are good, chips are bad. We know this. We all know that getting up and walking around the block is better than sitting in a chair for six hours. Like we just know these general things without having to go to a doctor, having to do intense research. Most of us have phones, iPads, wearable devices that will prompt you every hour to get up and go for a walk. Or to say, hey, you've been sitting for an hour, maybe, uh, maybe stand up and stretch. The goal is simply this, do better today than you did yesterday. Progress. That's all we're talking about here. If you want to go further than that, there are consulting people you can talk to, doctors and experts on things beyond that. Number two, rest. Do I mean sleep? Yeah, yeah, sleep to some degree. But also what I'm talking about here more specifically is this idea of a Sabbath. You see, God created us to have certain rhythms into our lives. And when we find ourselves in the flow of those rhythms, we find ourselves in more of a sense of rest. And we see these rhythms in Scripture with creation where God worked for six days and then he rested. He told the nation of Israel to work for six days and then rest. We see in the life of Jesus, he would work and teach and minister, but he would slip away. He would slip away for times of spiritual reflection and communion with the Father and resting. There are these rhythms that happened in his life. And so let me suggest to you a rhythm that may work for you that I think has great wisdom behind it. One day per week, one weekend per quarter, one week per year. Most of us who have even the most basic holiday schedules at work can do one day a week, one weekend a year, one week uh, sorry, one weekend per quarter and one week per year. If you find yourself in those sorts of rhythms, you'll find that you have these times to look forward to, to recuperate and to rest. That's what happens for myself quite often where we have a really busy fall, so I take some time off in early November. Then we ramp up for Christmas and then I take some time off in February. We ramp up for Easter and then in May we start to come down again. There's these rhythms in ministry that I try to keep myself healthy on. And I'm sure you can find similar ones in your own life as well. Now, speaking of this briefly, I just want to mention that the board of the church here uh, is, is phenomenal in so many ways. And one way in which I just, I, I love them dearly is in their desire to care for the staff. One of the ways that they have done that is before I even started on staff here, um, they had a sabbatical policy in place because they believed in these rhythms of rest, work and rest, work and rest, work and rest. Now, it was very, very generous to the point where I actually asked them to back it off a little bit because <laughs> it was very, very generous. So we actually backed it off a little bit without violating the intention behind it. And, and as was mentioned a couple weeks ago, uh, I'm feeling very blessed that the board has approved for me to take a one-month sabbatical for the month of February. And so we're definitely looking forward to that, and I appreciate their, uh, their gift and blessing to myself and to Nadine with, that, um, with, with their belief in the need for rest and with those rhythms. Absolutely. Number three, moving on very quickly here. Uh, find a hobby. Have you ever heard the saying, idle hands of the devil are the uh, evil's workshop, the devil's workshop? You won't find that in scripture, but you will find a whole bunch of verses that, that, that prove it. This idea that idle hands are the devil's workshop. You see, idle hands, if you do a word search on that, you'll come across all sorts of verses and Proverbs about that very thing. 
But we're not just here talking about keeping busy. We're talking about whatever God has given you for an interest, a passion, an ability, a desire. You can use that to worship him by being active in that area. As image bearers of, of God, we were created with some of those characteristics to, to have interests, to have abilities, to be creative. And when we use them and put them to work, when we develop them and find joy in them and purpose in them, it's actually another form of worshiping God for the things that he has blessed us and given us the ability to do. This is one that I'm going to try and really press into, especially when I'm on my sabbatical, is find a hobby. Because my hobby right now is work. And I think a lot of people find themselves in that category as well, where work is your hobby, work is your work, and, and work is your free time. So if you find yourself in that category that I do, find a hobby, which is what I'm going to try and do in the, in the coming weeks here. And then number four in this category, give yourself a break. I don't mean rest. I don't mean sleep here. Have you ever heard somebody say to you, you are your own worst critic? That's a common thing to have said to us as well. If you've ever had that said to you, give yourself a break. You know, this idea of comparison comes from thinking that we fall short in the eyes of other people. And if, if that's the case in your own life, give yourself a break. That comparison game. You see, being consumed by what others think about you is the fastest way to forget what God thinks about you. And the truth is, God created you. He loves you. He knows you. He smiles upon you. God has destined you for good works. You are his masterpiece. And you know what? God doesn't make mistakes and God doesn't make junk. You are his masterpiece. So instead of being consumed by what others think, even your own negative thoughts at times, don't allow that to let you forget what God thinks about you. Because while we may make mistakes... We are never defined by our mistakes. We are defined as the beloved, valuable children of God. So if you need to, give yourself a break. So have you identified one or two gifts you can give yourself in 2020? Maybe one relating to your relationship with God. Maybe one relating to your relationship with yourself. Or in our final category, your relationship with others. Now scripture divides others into two categories. We see that there are those others who belong to the world, those who are living their lives apart from relationship with Jesus Christ. But don't forget that even though they're living their lives apart from Jesus Christ, he still loves them. He still pursues them. Jesus still died for them. That's what we read about in John 3.16, that for God so loved the world, these people are living apart from him, that he sent his son to save them. Not to condemn them, but to save them if they would place their faith in him. And then we get to the end of the book of Matthew, and we get to the beginning of the book of Acts, and we see that Jesus passes that mantle. He passes that mission to us to say, now you go and make disciples. You go share the good news, the truth, the love, the grace of Jesus Christ with the world. You go be my witnesses. You teach them. You baptize them because I love them and want to draw them into a relationship with myself. That's the first category. And when people respond to that witness, they fall into the second category, which is the one another, as we read about in Scripture, which is often referred to as the body of Christ, followers of Jesus Christ, or the church. Now, much of the New Testament and a lot of Paul's writings are written to the church. And there's a whole lot of one another's you can go through. In fact, there's over a hundred times that we'll see the phrase one another in reference to these groups. These one another commands. Uh, 47 times they're to the church, to followers of Jesus Christ. 
Now, if we set aside four of those 47 that have to do with kissing, because this isn't a message about kissing, we set those four aside, we got 43 commands left about one another's. A third of them have to do with unity. A third of them have to do with love. 15% of them have to do with humility that we show to one another. And the rest of them are about comforting one another, not judging, sharing truth, and encouraging. We find this all kind of summarized in one really beautiful passage in Colossians chapter 3, where Paul wrote, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you have any grievances against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all of these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. We can see in this one passage the, the ideas of unity and love and humility and encouraging and comforting and forgiving all coming together under this idea of what we are to do as the body of Christ. This relationship with one another. So considering this final relationship. Some gifts you can give yourself that will benefit yourself within the body and the body itself is number one, don't be a loner. Okay? Some of us tend to be a little more withdrawn. Some of us tend to be a little more isolated. That's okay. Okay? I'm not trying to say stop that, you know, be an extrovert all of a sudden. No, I personally am an introverted person naturally myself. And so I, I, I'm challenged with this a little bit too. I acknowledge that all of us have different levels of needs for relationship and community. But at the same time, all of us have a need. All of us have a need for some form of community. Look at our staff, for example. Now, I'm content. I, I love to meet and mingle and get to know and be around people. But I'm really content with two or three very close friends. That, that's just kind of how I'm wired. There's probably lots of people here who are wired in a similar fashion. That's how I am. Uh, Brenda, Athena, the more the better. Just love, like... I, everyone's my friend. D different needs, different types of, of, of uh, community relationships that exist there. Now, one thing I love about West Meadows is how authentically this congregation actually does care and extend grace to one another. And the heartfelt hospitality and, and the ability to encounter Jesus amongst one another is, is amazing within this church. So if this is something that you want to press into to say, hey, I'm kind of a bit of a loner. I need to push into that a bit. Well, commit to stay after service for potluck next Sunday. Maybe commit to uh, sit at a different table than you usually would for potluck next week. Or join a connect group that you can find online at westmeadows.org. Number two, uh, volunteer. There are many needs in the community within the church where you can make a difference in someone's life. Our philosophy of ministry here at the church is that we have staff who recruit, empower, encourage, and support our leaders. But as Ephesians 4.12 says, that we are here to equip the people for good works. So that the body of Christ may be built up. So you can volunteer and do wonderful things in someone's life. And, and not only is it a blessing for other people. Not only will it meet a need and be an important impact into another person's life. But it actually benefits you too. It's a wonderful way to disciple yourself, to be able to give and to invest and to put into practice what you're learning on Sunday mornings or in a particular class or in your own Bible reading. And, and it can be just a, a wonderful time of, of understanding what it tangibly looks like to put, uh, to be the hands and feet of Christ. Now, not every role is for everyone, but I can promise you that everyone has a role that we can find for you here. Now, the last two here, a little bit tougher, but have the biggest impact. Number one is forgiveness, extending forgiveness. As I just read in Colossians chapter 3, 
it says that there are those who in the body are going to fail us. There are those who are going to do things that are wrong against us and that Paul is encouraging us to be ready to forgive, to be ready to help and to heal. On the most basic level in this passage, he's saying instead of demanding perfection from other people, bear with them. Work with them. Call them out on stuff, but encourage them and and do it lovingly and kindly, thereby practicing humility by preserving unity and love within the body. Now, I know that there's also a deeper level of forgiveness that could be referred to here as well. Whether it's somebody in the body or outside of the body of Christ who may have done an offense against you. And it's beyond my ability to fully address that today here because my my time has run out. But if you have one of those more serious effects or offenses in your life, where you feel like you are still kind of in the prison of, of shame or bitterness and anger, maybe 2020 is a chance to take a step forward in that. Notice I said a step. Because it's not just an instantaneous, I just decided to flip a switch and I've all of a sudden, I'm all better, I've forgiven. No, it's a step. It's entering into a process. And if that is the reality in your life, then I invite you to come and speak with me following the service, during the week to email me or call me so we can talk more about that and see if there's some counsel that I can offer. Or we can even refer you to professional counseling if that is, is the need. And if, and if money's an issue for that, we have a benevolent fund that helps out with those sorts of things. But we want to help you find freedom in this area if this is something that you want to move forward with in 2020. And then the final one. Say I love you. Say I love you to someone who needs to hear it. You know, love comes with many faces. There's love between friends. There's romantic love. There's paternal love. There's sacred love. But is there somebody in your life that needs to hear those words from you? I love you. Maybe it's a friend. This is what's referred to as phileo love. It's a Greek word for love, phileo. Now, guys aren't great at this. Quite often, guys, the way we show love is we we bug each other, call each other names. The closest we'll get to is kind of the, the shake and then the... Man pat, right? That means I love you, right? Okay, or at least, hey, it's cool to see you. Uh, you know, it depends, but guys understand, right? Ladies are a little better with the actual words of this, but, but regardless of the form, it's a way of saying I love you. A family love. Storge is a Greek word for this paternal type of love between a parent and a child. Maybe between a father and a son. You know, there are so many men these days that I, that I talk to and counsel who walk around with what's referred to as a father wound. A father wound meaning they never knew if they measured up. They never knew if they were good enough. They, they never knew if dad actually loved them because he never really said it. it. If you're a father or a grandfather, grandmother or mother, don't leave it to question. Let them know, I love you. Say the words, I love you. Between a husband and wife, this is a Greek word, eros, for love. And so often can happen. You get married for a long time, and it becomes familiar. And you still do love each other, but you maybe just don't say the words as often. But you know what? You still need to say the words just as often. And so say the words, maybe even, maybe even today over lunch. Heartfelt, not between bites of spaghetti with your mouthful and spaghetti sauce dripping down the side. No, heartfelt, right? Hey, I haven't said it for a while, but you know what? I still love you. I said I do then and I still do now. Whatever those words may be, as cheesy as they may sound at times. So there they are. 12 gifts you can give yourself in 2020. 
I hope you can find one, two, or three that you can focus upon. Not too many. Love your enthusiasm. But I want to set you up for success, not weigh you down. And if it's something that you need help with, want to discuss further, please reach out to the church staff so we can encourage you and help you with that. But hey, as we come to the end of this Christmas season and we look ahead to the new year, I pray that it is a blessed year for you. Remember, we are all works in progress. We will never reach perfection until we all find ourselves one day standing in glory. But between now and then, we're here to help you. We're here to help you grow in your relationship with God, your relationship with yourself, and your relationship with others, all to the glory of God. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you love us and you know us and that you challenge and convict us. I pray, Lord, that within the hearts and minds of each person here that there, there might be maybe something that just, that just kind of floats to the surface here today of, of what you're trying to speak to them and do in their lives, that we would grow into relationship with you first and foremost, Father, that we would acknowledge your awesomeness and your presence, but also what you have willed for us, that you have redefined us, you've set us free, you've, you've given us abilities, gifts, talents, powers to, to do wonderful works in your name. And I pray that we would all be challenged and convicted by those things that you would love to see done in us and among us in this year ahead, that we would be deeper in relationship with you and we would be stronger in our witness and our boldness with one another and the world around us, that they too may come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. I pray this in your heavenly name. Amen.